0: Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Miss?
1: Um, no, it's not me.
0: Yes, it is you. Please go back to your seat. Uh,
1: yes, I'm with him. I'm, uh, I'm a Mrs. Igles, uh, Mrs. Igles, yes?
0: Uh, no, you're not. You were just out here, and you put sunglasses on. Out. Conversations about Collaboration Episode 63. Elizabeth Heron joins me today. We discuss her new book, Managing Multiple Projects, sushi, spaghetti, side dishes, productivity, time boxing, and more. Let's get it on. Elizabeth, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh,
0: thanks for being on. Where are you located?
1: I'm in the south of the UK, so about an hour south of London. Okay.
0: Well, congrats on the new book. I want to get right into it. But for people who don't know you, this is what number six for you on project management.
1: It's number seven. Time flies, doesn't it? (laughs)
0: It's like neglecting one of your kids. I uh, apologies. Numbers. That's. It's remarkable. And the more that I kind of delved into project management for my own new one, the more I realized how much had been written. And even um, whether it was project management analytics, or as we'll talk about today, managing multiple projects and how you do that. Just no shortage of um, ways to look at this project economy and how we get stuff done.
1: I agree. I mean, there's just there's so many books out there and so many articles and so much guidance for people managing projects. It makes you wonder why we still get so many of them wrong and why we don't get the success rates that we would perhaps like. Um, but yes, you're right. It's, it affects so many people, doesn't it? I mean, even writing a book is a project. I had a little plan. I expect you approach your books the same way.
0: I just copy and paste a bunch of stuff from Wikipedia. No one's ever called me on it. <laughs> but no, it is. I mean, you're right. And it's, it, it, I'm very aware that when I'm doing a book, my editor or cover designer, or um, copy, uh, copy editor is working on more projects as well. So I think it's you know, certainly a, a timely book. Um, just to kind of frame it, um, how big is this project economy? Because I knew it was big. I didn't know it was that big. I mean, trillions, plural.
1: Yeah, I would say trillions, plural. Um, the, the idea of this project, uh, the project economy is having a workforce, having a workplace where lots of work is being done on, by projects. So if you think where we were, you know, hundreds of years ago where it was very much industrial, manufacturing and production lines. Now, a lot of the workforce gets involved in doing things in a project way because that's how we deliver strategy. And a lot of it is knowledge work. A lot of it is, you know, even if you're not managing, building an Olympic stadium or doing an oil and gas plant, you might be organizing an event for your your company's summer fate, or you could be working on something to launch a new product. And a lot of the routine stuff we just don't really do anymore or it's done by robots or we have AI tools that help us with that or we've offshored it but but a lot of the work that we do has to be sort of structured in, in project sense so if you equate that back um, that this is not my figure but there's some research that had looked into how much work gets done via projects. And, you know, it's about a third of GDP for the average Western economy. And that's directly directly related to project activity. So it's huge. I mean, if and I'm sure all the listeners can think of things that they get involved with that, that are projects, um, even if they don't have a job title of project manager, just seems to be how we get work done these days.
0: Oh, 100%. And I think about the types of work that didn't change all that much when COVID arrived now two years ago. Mm-hmm. If you were processing insurance claims or taking calls as a call center representative where you work to change, but the actual work itself didn't change. And, but for projects though, and again, preaching to the choir here, but an answer that could have taken five minutes. Hey, Elizabeth, you got a second. I didn't understand what somebody said during a meeting, or I don't understand this. Well, now you throw it into Slack or Teams or email and someone may not get to it for two or three days. So you know, those little delays can become massive ones. And then when you look at the state of a project and how it gets so screwed up, Mm. you look at, sometimes it is, you're right, you know, a big thing that someone didn't understand, but how many times is it a bunch of little things that added up?
1: I think that's the thing, because the more, the the people that I work with, I mentor project managers. I did some research for the book about how many projects people manage. And it seems to me, and my personal experience bears this out as well, that we are managing more projects. So when I started out in my career, I had sort of one medium sized thing that I was involved with. And, and then I, I managed a big program of work, which was lots of doing the same thing over and over for lots of different places. Um, but it, it felt very project based, and I was doing one thing and it was all connected. And then later in my career, more recently, I've got a portfolio of, it feels like dozens of things, and I have to keep all the balls in the air. And the more project managers I talk to, the more that seems to be common for people. And it's lots of, they've got lots of things on their plate. And that's when things start to fall through the cracks. And that's what happens. I don't get to your Slack message for two days because it's not a priority for me because I've got 10 other things of people shouting at me and I just missed it. It just went past in the Slack conversation and, and I missed it. So I think that's a real risk of the virtual environment is how do we make sure that we stay on top of everything when we're trying to juggle multiple balls. But technology can be good sometimes as well.
0: It can be. And I want to talk about the different projects and the different tools, because you. I have found it difficult as a service provider. And I, I start off my new book with an example of how I said, look, I would really like to use Slack or Teams or Zoom. And I got people to agree on Teams. Okay. Of course, within six weeks, it was back on email for some <laughs> people sometimes. And we couldn't even agree on a meeting. Oh. Uh, and even within an organization, I did some research. Uh, there was a company called Okta that does identity management, and they found that 90% of their clients use both Slack and Teams in different parts of the organization. So it, who wins, right? If it's a VP of Department A and a VP of Department B, right? Mm-hmm. And it could it doesn't have to be Slack or Teams. It could be WebEx or Zoom. It could be so many different things. It could be, well, we don't use Google Docs or security doesn't allow us. So uh, how do you how do you decide who wins when it's tools? Because some people don't want to give or they won't provide the training.
1: It is difficult. Yeah. When I was talking to someone the other day and they went through a big exercise to look at all the different project management tools that were out there for project management deliver specifically, so task management tools. And because they had grown by acquisition, the company had various different pockets of the company were using five or six different project management tools, each specific to the needs of the particular department. They'd chosen something that worked for them. And so to find a tool that met all of their needs In all of the flexible, agile and iterative um, and predictive and, you know, task management and tickets variety and all that other stuff. It was really hard. They did find one that that worked for them in the end, but it was a big exercise to do. And I think there's so much choice with technology. And because often there is no company mandate around what to do and that change management piece about bringing everybody on board with that correct technology or or the the most appropriate technology um, doesn't happen departments find something that works for them. And so you have these pockets of good practice in the organization. And because all our needs are different, I mean, even within projects, I work on a, a project team and we have a daily stand-up. That's fine. Works for that project On a different project. We just have a weekly team call. That's good enough for that project. So they're different approaches, need different tools and technology behind them and different ways of managing. And sometimes that does mean using multiple things. I think it puts project managers in a bit of an awkward position, really, because we tend to do what what is best for the project, which is best for the project stakeholders. And that could mean that people who are in that kind of role end up having to use various different tools because their internal or external clients expect it of them. It's a bit of an admin overhead. I don't know. What would you say? Is there a one perfect solution? One size fits all?
0: I don't think so, because you're right. It's a team doing... A Scrum project, and you show them a Gantt chart, they'll go, "What the hell is this?" Exactly. And if it's folks doing what I guess PMI calls predictive, I still don't love that term because when I think predictive, I think predictive analytics. But I understand what the waterfall methods are from a decade of beating my head against the wall on crazy <laughs> projects. Um, yep. they, they would look at a you know a sprint and or stand up and go, what, "What are you talking about? Right? Why do we need to decide what we're doing? We decided a year ago that for the next two months I'd be doing." training so I'm with you that one size doesn't fit all but I'm also with you on the a couple things first you're absolutely right about there being quote-unquote too much choice in fact was that um was I reading when you sent over the galley uh, a survey that uh, was it something like 90% of project managers use more than one tool
1: oh there's there's so much I mean my I've done some research into it and it's it's a big number and it's also just difficult for people to stay on top of those things because we end up with shadow IT. I mean, that my my experience is that people um, want to do the right thing. And for whatever reason, the organization doesn't let them choose the right tool. And so they just take, they just download it. And if if you're not really locked down in your infrastructure, I think actually, that was probably before the, the uh, virtual working became a lot more common, because I think, companies had to provide a tech stack, a layer of collaboration technology that worked during the the times when everybody was out of the office. Um, But I think prior to that, there were definitely, you know, historical pockets of people who would just use whatever they downloaded off the internet because they liked shiny things or because they couldn't get IT to agree to it. Or, Or the company didn't have a policy about things and they could just choose whatever they wanted.
0: I completely agree with you all the above, and I did read an article on the Protocol Future Work newsletter. I thought it was really interesting about how, for years, people said, "Look, let me just use whatever tool I need," and now the pendulum is swinging back towards centralization. Which some people are saying, "Look, can you just tell me the three tools that I need to use?" Because to your point, it is so distributed within an organization. Never mind of outside, right? I've seen some companies. In fact, I was looking at one to do SEO work based in your neck of the woods in the UK. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting on their website. They had a page for tools we use. So it was um, Trello and Google Docs and Slack and these things. And I thought to myself, I could see more companies doing that in the future to say, look, um, we'll happily use whatever, but these are tools that we think are really useful. And if someone were to evaluate a company go, oh, wow, they already use these tools, there's going to be less friction because we use them. Or they thought of this and they don't say, well, we're just going to manage the project over email, which I think is insane.
1: Yes. Or you'd look at it and go, Trello and Google Docs, I can't touch them with a barge bowl. <laughs> They're not for me if that's their tool set. I mean, they might well be open to using other things, but you you've, you kind of gravitate towards people who perhaps have the same outlook of, of technology and use the same things because it's easier. So I, I love that idea of actually promoting and actively saying these, this is the tool set that we adopt and that we work with and that we're comfortable with. And we can go outside of that obviously because we're all smart, intelligent people. But I know that you know, even on my phone, I've got the Microsoft apps, I've got Google Docs app, um, then I've got Slack. And I have resisted getting Teams on my phone because I'd rather just keep that on my laptop so I just have a se- bit of a separation between work and life. Sure. But I can see that in the future, the demands of the job will, may well mean that I need the Teams app as well. And that's a lot of pings i mean just and whatsapp as well and it's like ping 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 all day and that distraction and is a big big contributor to people not feeling that they can get their work done because they're constantly interrupted and i think there's i've noticed a shift with people being much more clear about their boundaries and putting things on the bottom of their email i've got one that says i work nine to five monday and friday and i work nine to three tuesday wednesday thursday and you know i'm sending you this at a time that suits me but if you're in a different time zone or whatever, I don't expect a response straight away if you're not working. And I think that's great in principle. And then you have all the apps that just ping all the time and it's very distracting. So it's it's getting that balance, right, isn't it? Of things that you want to be a good contributing person of the team and not miss your Slack message for two days. But on the other hand, you need boundaries so you can have a life.
0: I couldn't agree more. And it is difficult if people aren't allowed to or, or refuse to use that tool. So On some projects, you find yourself copying a message from WhatsApp because someone's not on Facebook and pasting that into Slack, although I'm sure there's an integration or an app uh, between the two, but just to keep it simple, and you're almost in the middle, which then if you go off the grid for a couple of days, they can't get work done or to your point, you're afraid to go off the grid for a couple of days because work won't get done. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's it's, an, it's a timely topic, and I want to talk specifically about a couple of things that made me smile reading it. Uh, talk to me a little bit about sushi, side dishes, and spaghetti, because if you're listening to this...
1: Well, that's how I characterize jobs, the, the work involved in a job. So it's a way of thinking about workload. If you had a sushi workload, your work would be lots of little standalone projects, all like of sushi on a plate that's how I imagine it anyway Um, where they're all sort of separate pieces of, of work that you're involved with and you can imagine that spaghetti is the opposite of that a giant tangle of projects a giant tangle of work and it's all quite interconnected maybe you pull one strand and it unravels something else and maybe all your customers or stakeholders are the same and everything overlaps so there's a, a enough there that's all, all connected in some way and then side dish is kind of like it says, so you mentioned earlier customer service agents or people processing insurance claims. So maybe that is your day job and you have a side dish of projects where your manager expects you to get involved with, I don't know, um, launching a new product or providing a bit of your particular subject matter expertise to something else that's happening in the organization. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It's an interesting visual because I love analogies. And one of my favorites for years has been a house. And mm-hmm. you know, whatever we're deciding to build, that's fine. But just you get to a certain point, in which case, you know, you've committed to building a ranch or a duplex or a colonial. I don't know if they have colonials across the pond, but, but then there are people who don't know. And not just big organizations doing things, but even the ghostwriting project in which an author said, all right, I want to write this kind of book. So I start writing it. Oh, no, it should be this kind of book okay. And then, no, it should be a different kind of book. And eventually I'd go, well, you don't know what kind of book you want to write. So it doesn't make sense for us to continue. And it'd be like going to a realtor and saying, I want to buy a home. Okay. How much do you want to spend? How many floors? How many bedrooms? Where do you want to live? Right. Those are kind of important because if the world is my audience, then we're never going to find a place.
1: Exactly. You need to narrow it down. And I like using analogies because I think often what we do in projects can feel quite arbitrary and, random and um difficult to explain especially if it's culture transformation or new software that's not very tangible people can't really get a grip of what it's going to do for them until it's there and so you have to bring them along on the journey so stories are really helpful for that kind of thing if you can link it to something else um you can help with that change management effort and help them explain what's coming
0: yeah i want to explain to them yeah i want to go back to something you said before about flow state because i think like um uh, I've done in the past, quote, Mikhail, I always screw this up, Chick sent me High's book, Flow. Oh, him, yes. <laughs> and I think he he actually died. I think it was late last year, but uh, just a, a seminal book for me. And um, I would argue that if it's a hybrid project and you're having to ping people, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. You could absolutely tap someone on the shoulder in person every two minutes and interrupt that person's flow. But in a way, because a lot of the work is asynchronous and you write about this in the book, we may not give it as much thought, but if we're constantly responding, we're constantly getting interrupted. So that makes it impossible to do our best work. And we're much more likely to make errors because we were in flow state. We stopped what we're doing. We addressed the Slack messages, a message exactly. or an email or whatever. Um, so talk to me a little bit about multiple projects in flow state. Are they mutually exclusive or do you, I know you, in the book, you write about time boxing.
1: Yes. I mean, I do time box my work to try to get into the flow state as much as possible, either for a particular project. So I'll say, well, this morning I'm just doing something on, you know, I'll do all the things related to project one. And then I might also time box another chunk of time later in the week where I'll do all the emails related to all my projects, or I might do return all the calls on my list. So you time time box the kind of activity, not necessarily the project that it relates to. But I think that's Trying to get to a state where you've got thinking time, given that we do, um, we're, we're busy people, we've got lots of projects we're trying to juggle, we've got high demands from our stakeholders, our bosses, or everyone expects all their projects to be moving forward, even the least important one that's at the bottom of your to-do list, they expect to see some kind of progress on it every month. And so to try and do that, I think we get into a point where it's, it's really reactive and we just work and work and do the tasks and don't really... Take a step back from that and think, am I doing them in the right way? Am I doing the right work even involving the right people? Because it's just such a rush to try to get through it all every day. So I think the flow state can really help with that. If you can carve out some time to try to do work and reflect on how the work is being done and reflect on whether or not you're doing the right thing, carving out a couple of hours even, you do. Know, it doesn't have to be a whole week of focus time or anything, but just trying to ring fence some time so you're not interrupted, you've got more chance of being able to. Uh, get a better quality outcome, I think, get a better result at the end of it for you and for everyone else and enjoy it more probably.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I wanted to ask you about flow state and books as projects and your own writing. Um, I talked to okay. people in the past who say, I can never get anything done because I'm writing five minutes here and eight minutes there. And I will immediately say, well, that's that's the problem. You can't effectively get anywhere near flow state. And, and if you're writing something, it's going to be destroyed. Now, if you've got a note when you're on, in my case, I'm on the treadmill or, I'm, or I'm, I'm at the gym, I might bark into my Apple Watch. Hey, remind me when I get home, blah, blah, blah. But um, when you are, you know, again, a book is very much a project and not an individual one, right? You're working with all sorts of folks to do the figures and the editing and the marketing, the promotion, the pricing, all the things that go into it, as you and I both know. Um, do you time box you know, three hours? Yeah. To, yeah?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I turn box a weekend. I think this okay. book was mainly written over a couple of weekends and I hired an Airbnb and I went away by myself and then I just wrote for 48 hours. And that seems extreme when I say it like that. Well, Obviously, I slept and ate and watched TV. That's <laughs> so my downtime to rest my hands and rest my brain. But I, I find that the the bones of the book has to come together as a piece, as a big as a big picture because I want to be able to help people on the journey. And this particular book about managing multiple projects has a five-step framework in it and exercises and tools. And, you know, but, but it, it's a whole thing. And I think, you know, I, I do a lot of blog posts. I write articles for other people and and to churn out 1200 words, 3000 words is actually quite straightforward. And you can do that within a short period of time, but to create a book that's 60, 80,000 words long, it, it needs an arc. It needs you to connect all the pieces, and I can't do that in five-minute slip stop uh, sections. And if anyone else can, then you know all credit to them. But for me, having that initial weekend to plot out what is it that I'm trying to say, I already have my book outline because that was what went to the publisher beforehand. So the book proposal is is a good starting point. But then you have to put together what what is it that. I'm trying to get across to people. How am I going to help people manage multiple projects? What is it that I want them to take away from this so that it can be really practical and hands-on and they can do something different as a result and have a better life, have a better work balance because I've taught them something. And so I, I spent a weekend doing that to get the bones down. And then I found that actually um, I think I had another weekend writing as well. And then the last bits where you're just putting in another reference or you're trying to um, flesh out a paragraph or a sentence or a, a chunk, which is not quite as long as you want it to be. And, you know, you can put some more things in that is easier to fit in in a few hours here and there. But the actual you know, core of it, I had to get away. And that was a definite timeboxing flow state where I just thought about nothing else for that weekend.
0: When I was looking at your book, I, I didn't know about that perma.cc site and I was shaking my head going, that is such a useful tool. I know it's not necessarily cheap, but um, I like the fact that I can look up a reference and having written a few books in the past myself, what does it they say on the website? 70% of links will move within yes. five years or something. And yes, there, there's the internet archive. Um, but that's no guarantee that you know they took a snapshot at that time. So that that was just another useful uh, tip as a writer. I thought, okay, I gotta, um, I may actually bite the bullet, spend the money, and redo all of my links, which I don't think would take all that long, since I created them as tiny URLs. But um, now I, uh, I I find it fascinating that you can go and write you know, sixty or eighty thousand words about this particular aspect of project management. It's um, it, it just. It, It's really interesting to me that you can go that deep in that area. And I do, you know, put on your your swami hat Uh, in the future. Do you think that we'll be managing more tasks or fewer tasks?
1: I think we'll be managing more tasks and different tasks. And I think that's the part of project management that we're not taught at the moment. So this whole book came about because um, I I taught a class on managing multiple projects and it was popular. Um,
0: How could it not be?
1: (laughs) But that's kind of you to say, but I think I did my project management training and I'm sure yours was the same. It's how do you manage a project? Oh, you write this document and you do an initiation. And even if you're working in Agile, all the courses are just how do you manage one project? I thought, fine. OK. But then when you manage two projects, do you just layer the same thing on again and you repeat the whole process? And what about when you get to five? And then I had situations where I turned up at a meeting to talk about one project and the project sponsor was the same project sponsor as I had on a different project as well. So I actually was doing two projects for him. So in a project where I was supposed to be talking about one thing, he brought up his other project because I was just his project manager. You know, he didn't really care that this was ring fence time in my mind and in his diary, just to talk about the one project. And that made me think, yeah, why, why am I not streamlining meetings? Why am I having two meetings with you when you, you only want to see me once? It makes much more sense for us both combine it all. And so I think when you're starting to manage multiple projects, there are some really obvious synergies that, oh God, I hate that word, <laughs> but you know, streamlined approaches, things that you can do differently um, in order to try to be more efficient with your time for yourself and for your stakeholders and your colleagues. And I think that how do you layer multiple projects on top of each other and not have to do everything 15 times? Um Made, made me think that there's something here. So I can write a lot about it because I didn't find a lot of other materials that talked about this exact point. But you're right. Yeah, there's a ton of project management stuff out there.
0: Well, if you think about it, it's kind of the, the rationale why doing a book on project management as well. Um, you know, was it 30,000 or 60,000 books, depending on your keywords on Amazon came out pre-pandemic on project management. But I would imagine that very few are about hybrid work because hybrid work is relatively new. And to your point, yes. Um, you know, there, at least from what I can tell, not that many books on the subject. So um, and I wanted to congratulate you as well, because even though you did your research, it doesn't come across as overly academic. And there are a lot of whether it's the framework or the practical tips, um, you definitely get into those adjacent areas, whether it's productivity or time management or, or even happiness, because how can you be happy as an employer or even as a person if you're constantly responding to you know, 15 applications pinging you all day? I just don't see how that happens.
1: And one of the questions I asked when I was doing that research was, have you considered leaving project management? And, you know, what, what stresses you out the most about project management and the amount of people who don't enjoy their job? Maybe, you know, when you do a survey and you put it out on the internet, people fill it in, they all self-select. So maybe I just attracted the grumpy ones. But I certainly had a lot of of, uh, narrative comments in there that, that made me think, we're not treating people nicely at work. We don't make it easy for them to do their best work. We put a lot of pressure onto people who are in um, project roles, either because they're trying to do that and their ordinary job as well, or or just because we have no visibility of what they're doing. Or why, why is it so difficult to be someone who leads projects these days? I think there's huge amounts of expectations, not an awful lot of support, poor strategy and poor leadership. And, but other and not, than that, it's help. going great. Yay. <laughs> Yay for the workplace. Um, no, it's, yeah, it's easy so,
0: to be negative. Yeah. In fact, I, I remember a million years ago when I wrote my first book, I came across as a, as a negative Nelly. But you know, I'd seen, and these were on very similar projects. They were large scale, big budgets. But you know, it's not like you know, in 2008, it was the first healthcare organization to implement a new enterprise system. Right, this you know, and when I think about companies, um, you know, it, um, Accenture worked with Hertz, the rental car company, and they paid thirty-two million dollars to build a website and a mobile app in two thousand sixteen. Well, the iPhone dropped in two thousand seven. The project wound up in court, um, so it makes me think that they're you know, it, and I, I often wonder if those statistics on project management are understated. Right, people don't want to admit that it's that it goes poorly. I mean.
1: I'm sure that's the case, and if you—that's why I like to use case studies from public sector projects because mm. they bear all. I mean, in, over in the UK, we have um, the National Audit Office, and they look at the government's projects and they rip them apart. And actually, that I think that's been a really useful, valuable exercise for key leaders in government to see, to have someone hold them account. And I think you have something as well. Is it the General Accountability Office or something? GAO in the states that, that also looks at that you know it holds the government account and does all of that analysis i don't know what but there is an organization i'm sure most governments have something which which um looks into what things are doing it's just an internal audit function really but the national audit office reports are really eye-opening because they they don't hold back (laughs) they'll say no there was no senior leadership or this information should have passed between this and that caused a three-month nine-month delay and millions of extra pounds and But we need that level of transparency because if we don't have it, how are we ever supposed to get better?
0: I'm speechless. I have nothing to add. (laughs) I'll get you out of here. This, Elizabeth, what book are you currently reading?
1: Uh, What am I currently reading? I'm reading Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. And yeah, on the subject of being negative, I can only read it in small sections because I find it incredibly sad and um, disappointing. It's brilliantly written. It's very entertaining and engaging. And the research is woven through the narrative. It's an excellent book, but you you read a chapter of it and you think, gosh, the world is a depressing place. So to counteract that, I'm also reading Harlan Coben's In the Woods, which is a murder mystery, (laughs) which which is very gripping in a different way. That's on my bedside cabinet at the moment.
0: Good stuff, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed it.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.